What is going on, everyone? Welcome to episode 12 of the Big Fly Pod with the co-host Christian Myers and myself, Ty Lewin. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about Carlos Correa news uh, from the $950 million this man has earned over the last two months to the Trevor Bauer news uh, of him being released by the Dodgers officially here today. Triple A baseball moving to electronic umps and the robo ump empire that is starting throughout baseball. Finally, we're going to do a new segment here where we review some of the ML, you know, just an MLB team or two per week, uh, per episode to discuss just what's going to be going on with the projected lineups, starting rotations, and potentially some farm system guys that will be coming up through the ranks here to help out there in 2023. But let's check in with our co-host Christian Myers. Christian Myers. How you doing? Ty, we are doing fantastic tonight. I'm excited for to talk about a couple things on the pod. Um, I'm also really excited about the Correa news for maybe reasons that some other people may not expect me to be excited about it for, but I think we should just get it ripping. Yeah, and, and before we get it ripping here, I do want to thank Jimmy Greenfield again for coming on the episode such a fun time. Uh, one of our, our our second interview we've done so far here on this show, and we just really appreciate the opportunity to interview people like that that have been in the, in the world of sports for so long. So shout out to Jimmy for such an incredible interview. And for folks that obviously don't know this, but we ended up chatting for another 30 minutes afterwards about the Blackhawks and to other things about sports. So again, Jimmy, thank you so much for coming again on the podcast. But Let's get into the show. So Carlos Correa, he goes from signing with the Giants to being uh, Steve Cohen's biggest signing of the offseason to now being a Minnesota Twin again. He signs a six-year deal for $200 million, 33 a year per AAV. Looking at the AAV across the board, uh, for the Giants, he was at 13 years at $350 million, which put him at about $27 million AAV. And then with the Mets, he was at 12-year, uh, $315 million with a $26 million AAV, as everyone understands at this point. Injury concerns have been what was the reasoning behind the fact that he did not sign with the Giants, and of course, some uh, what had come out as disagreements across the board between Correa's party and the Mets in regards to his physical that nobody was shocked about. But then out of of the blue, the Minnesota Twins sign Carlos Correa to a six-year deal with a vesting option for an additional four years uh, and $70 million. So now the Twins, who went from pretty much looking at a rebuilding year and looking to see what they're going to do with guys like Buxton and some of these other players, you know, know, just what they're going to do in reference to the AL Central – are now putting themselves in a position to potentially compete for that division title. But Christian, I would love to get your thoughts on this, man. Yeah, so I'm I'm really excited that the deal got done because Correa finally got a deal done, and now maybe we don't have to hear about it every single day from every <laughs> single writer about what's going to happen and that the Mets are no longer in and they're starting to get fed up with him and blah, 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 and all this stuff that we've had to been dealing with for the last couple of months was just getting so frustrating. But again, I mean, with it being the off season and not a whole lot to talk about, you know, I get it, but now we don't have to talk about it anymore. And we don't have to speculate every day about what's going to happen with Carlos Correa. And he's locked into Minnesota. 
and going to be there for a few years. So no more drama out of the Correa camp for hopefully a couple months at least. Yeah, and my last point on just the whole Correa thing was with all the physical issues that happened with the Giants and the Mets and what had come about from those situations of just what this man was going to be projected for, him being officially signed to a six-year deal, even even beyond four to five years, is kind of shocking to me. So, uh, Christian, I couldn't agree more. Get this out of the way. He goes to a team now that's kind of under the radar, and I think that this news and just this whole offseason will kind of be put to bed um, rather than if you went to the Mets and just this whole big market. And basically any game they lose is when the you know team's tanking. So it's going to be nice to have that out of the way. So Carlos Correa to the Twins, six years for $200 million. The other big news, Trevor Bauer officially released by the LA Dodgers. The the Dodgers will pay $22.5 million for his final year of his original deal that he signed. And any team that does sign Trevor Bauer will owe him only $720,000. I say only, but in the world of baseball, especially these days, that is ridiculously cheap. Trevor Bauer is officially a free agent in baseball. Now, Christian, if you were to think off the top of your head, if you were to think of one, maybe two teams that you see as just take away the whole publicity PR situation, looking at specifically needing a starting rotation arm, which teams off the top of your head do you think would make sense for Trevor Bauer to go to? Um, I mean, if you, you know, if you take away everything that happened and like you said, all the publicity issues that and the backlash that would come with it. I mean, the Dodgers are the the perfect team to pick him up. Like that's a team that needs to bolster their rotation for (laughs) next year. And I I can't help but laugh a little bit at the fact that that is a thing. Um, But another team that, you know, might maybe let's say his contract just ended and he didn't get released um, who would be looking to sign a guy and pay some money for a starting pitcher maybe would be uh, the Cardinals who would go in and land them. But, um, you know, in in all reality and in all seriousness, I, I don't really think anybody's going to touch him at this point. Um, just, again, because now putting the publicity factor back into it, I, I don't see a team that that would be willing to do that and have all that backlash that comes with it. And it's a tough tough predicament I think for some of these teams because when you look at it in the you know just from a baseball perspective you could get a Cy Young caliber pitcher for the league minimum and let the Dodgers pay off you know whatever they owe him minus the seven hundred thousand dollars um and change that league minimum is now and it it I think it's going to be intriguing for some people, but I don't know that a front office will go do that um, just because, you know, most of the people that are supporting your team financially through ticket sales or merchandise sales, what have you, are not going to necessarily understand the whole baseball aspect that comes with that and would there would be some serious 
outcry against a team. I think if they were to do that, even though, like I said, it's probably going to be somewhat intriguing for some teams who are maybe in a little bit of a smaller media market um, to to go out and get him. But again, like I said, I think we've probably seen the last of Trevor Bauer in the big leagues. Can I throw one team out there that may just make the move and sort of need a starting pitcher and don't necessarily have the market of fans that would backlash them? Would the Padres be a potential? And here's why. Here's why. So starting rotation-wise right now, you got Blake Snell, Joe Musgrove, you Darvish, right? So you have your three absolute horses at the top. But then they signed Seth Lugo, who wanted to sign as a starting pitcher. So then you have to solidify him as your fourth guy. Their fifth guy right now is Nick Martinez, who was that, I believe, the guy who went to Japan, came back, and then had the stellar year last year. What if the Padres say, screw the PR, we don't care, our market isn't crazy enough, you know, our fans necessarily, and this is nothing against Padres fans, but I couldn't see power going to New York or going back to L.A. or going to Chicago where, or even like the Red Sox where, you know, these fans are what make live and breathe this team. Imagine you put Trevor Bauer as your number four, number five, and I, I don't foresee San Diego Padres fans being too mad at that because they're not going to be too mad when Fernando Tatis Jr. comes back April 20th after being suspended for PEDs. Any thoughts there? I, that was another team that I was thinking of, <laughs> um, was, was the Padres. And, and for the pretty much the same reasons that you said, and also I think Bauer, I mean, if, if the opportunity was presented and he got to go to a team where he's going to pitch against the Dodgers um, for, you know, however many games, I think he would jump at that opportunity. And that is funny that you mentioned the Padres because, yeah, they, they're another team that needs a starter. And if they could get a starter like Bauer, I think they'd probably become the favorites to win the NL West, honestly. Yeah, um, but, you know, again, I, I don't know that even A.J. Preller, who we've seen over the last couple of years, make some crazy stuff happen. I don't know that he would go out on a limb to do that. Um, but yeah, $720,000. Yeah, I know. And that's, and that's (laughs) the thing. And that's, you know, for, for somebody like me who is, I mean, a, just a through and through baseball fan and just wants to see a team do well. If the Rockies were to go out and get him, you know, I, I would be thrilled that we were able to land Trevor Bauer. Like I really would just looking at it from a baseball perspective only. But then when you factor in all the off field stuff, you know, it becomes okay. Now, you know, we've got this whole other area that we have to worry about, which is true. I mean, it it is something to factor in and keep, keep in mind by everybody. Um, But yeah, who knows? I mean, we'll see. Maybe the Padres will say, we'll give you, you know, a second chance, but keep you on a tight leash. Who knows? Yeah. And 
all jokes aside, what Trevor Bauer, that whole situation, everything, I can see how teams are just like, hey, like maybe just hold off. He can go pitch elsewhere. He can maybe go develop his stuff back. But I don't know if Trevor Bauer is necessarily going to look at that opportunity because probably makes more money off of YouTube's, YouTube stuff he does now with King of Juco and some of these other things that he does now than probably he would make in the KBL or, you know, the Mexican, uh, you know, in, in the Mexican professional league or any of these other leagues. So again, where does Trevor Bauer go? Is he a Padre? Is he a Diamondback? Is he a, you know, just one of these maybe even smaller market teams that could uh, offer that opportunity and not feel the backlash that, Maybe what they'll see, because the backlash is basically going to come to Trevor when he goes and pitches on any mound in any ballpark there in 2023, in my opinion. So we'll see. Now, electronic strike zone will be used in all 30 AAA parks this season. Basically, how it's going to work is half of the AAA games will be played with all of the calls determined by an electric electronic strike zone. The other half will be played with an automated balls and strike system or what they call ABS challenge system that, of course, will include regular umps. But basically, they they reference it to sort of like uh, tennis where they can go challenge and do those things. Kind of saw that, obviously, with the MLB this past year, which in certain situations people love, certain situations people didn't love based on the fandom the situation of the game, where their bets were, all those different things. So we're starting to see now, as I remember we talked to Danny Dens, who was on uh, one of our former episodes. Please check out that interview we had, as that was really uh, a fun interview that we got to have when we got to talk to him about where minor league baseball is going as they trial a lot of these new types of rules and systems and and use them as kind of their guinea pig to see if they'll work in reference to major league baseball so now with this being rolled in the triple a this is really starting to kind of put an edge on mlb in reference to what they're going to do they've had multiple umpires retire here within the last uh you know six i think just within the last three months it was like 10 to 15 umpires that had like 15 20 plus years of work had retired and so overall baseball is who knows where it's going in this direction and I think AAA is going to be the best idea because it'll be where guys have played them obviously the most amount of minor league baseball and the ability to translate that to the MLB through analytics and whatnot but I mean Christian from my perspective man I'm not happy about it but I know that you and I were texting about it and kind of give me your why it sucks Second yeah, I don't, I don't, show. I don't like it. Um, I don't like it at all either because I think one of the beauties of this game is that human interaction that you have at basically all times. Um, you know, they've put in the replay system, which it, I, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of it, just because I think it takes way too long. Um, I don't, I don't like this whole strike zone thing. I think part of having the umpires behind the plate that are making those calls in real time of whether some of these close pitches or strikes or balls is fantastic. And it makes hitters really have to adjust and it's what makes baseball hard, so to speak. Um, And, you know, obviously 
you've got your your Angel Hernandez's who call maybe way too many pitches that are too far outside of the strike zone um, strikes and when they should be called balls. But uh, I, I I think that's just part of it. That's just part of the game. That's how it's always been. And I don't really like that they're making this move to make it more um, of a what's what's the word I'm looking for here. Um, well, we'll just say more of a, of a of an easy way out, I guess, for hitters now. And then it just makes it makes it a little tougher on a pitcher, I think, because part of being, you know, a good pitcher is being able to get some of those calls off the zone or be able to get guys to swing and miss at balls off the zone. And now it kind of takes that away too. And I just think it's bad for the game. I think they should keep keep the just strictly human umpires in and go about it that way, just like it's always been and people can just stop whining. Um, whining and groaning about some bad calls and if they're in the game and they really don't like the call, then we get to see the arguments and the interactions that go on. And I think that's fun. I mean, the whole purpose of a lot of these rule changes is to try and get more fan engagement and everything. And I think that the, the arguments in between calls and the banter back and forth between players and umpires or managers and umpires is part of what people like to see in baseball. So twofold system there i guess um but i don't know they didn't ask me for my opinion you know the reason a couple of reasons and i agree with everything you just said i I feel bad for catchers that have worked years and years and years on framing and the art of framing because that has added such a beautiful part of the game it has added jobs for guys to the MLB that may not necessarily be an offensive threat, per se, because they're just so focused on taking care of their staff and taking care of making sure that they get those calls that are needed and being so consistent with what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. That's one thing. Two, when you talk about the human interaction, and now you're going to go out on a field, and it's going to be based upon the fact that it's going to be a scoreboard thing where they announce something. First of all, a lot of fans that are going to baseball games aren't necessarily watching all nine innings of the game. Let's just be completely honest, and that has been the case for a very, very long time. And now the MLB thinks, and I'm guessing this is what their perspective is of two things, right? One, that it's going to speed up the game, which one, I don't believe that's going to be true because I don't understand how that speeds up the game Maybe you might minimize a few minutes of the game, but when at the end of the day where you're just consistently trying to minimize time, minimize time, minimize time, it's like, no, 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 no. That's not what people, why people aren't watching baseball. It's because of the fact that there are some boring aspects of it. There's 162 games of baseball and some people just don't watch baseball and that is completely fine. So find other ways to bring fan engagement, find other ways to maybe, you know, if they, you know, they, they saw the shortened season and they saw more fandom with that as well. Not saying they need to minimize games, but look towards other areas. And I'm not going to sit here and point out what those areas are right now. I just don't see how this is your reasoning behind trying to increase the value of the game. And 
are you trying to just save money not by not paying umpires? Are you trying to just have this automated system to try and avoid those costs? Then that's that's BS because these guys, these umpires have trained for their lives to be in the MLB, and all of a sudden they're not going to be allowed to do that. So looking at the umpires, looking at the catchers, looking at the game, the game is beautiful in the way it is. Don't try and change it through bringing in machines because we don't need more machines and replay in baseball. It already takes too long, and I'm I'm very, very disappointed to hear that they're doing this. This has been probably the, one of the saddest things that I've seen baseball do in a very, very long time, and I really hope that the MLB sees the that there really isn't value in bringing this in, and whatever they see their value as, the fans don't see it that way. I don't know one fan that's going to be like, I can't wait for these machines to announce strikes and balls on a scoreboard during a game, especially if you're a baseball fan. So I'm pissed. I'm not happy about it. That's that's where I leave that. Um, All right. So moving on to our segment we're going to be doing over here uh, for the weeks leading up to the regular season, folks. We obviously are in more of a dead period now in reference to just free agent signings obviously dwindled when for the last couple of years, pretty much this has been the time that free agent signings have happened. But obviously a lot of the big names are off the list. Teams are basically trying to just grab what they can to occupy spots that they need to cover. So this is more of a dead period right now. We're going to do some segments, try some things out, uh, try and see if this is something that might be of interest to you. We'd love to hear your guys' feedback on it. So, what we're going to do is we're just going to re kind of review each of the teams. Yeah, we're going to probably go one or two each episode in reference to where they stand as a roster in reference to obviously across the board from their lineups to their starting rotation. Christian's going to be bringing up some of their farm system guys to be looking out for. Uh, but we're going to start with the NL West as we think that's just such a fun division to talk about. Um, we're going to start with the Dodgers. So the Dodgers right now, outfield-wise, looking to be Trace Thompson, Chris Taylor, and, of course, Mookie Betts. Infield-wise, you're looking at Max Muncy over at third base, Miguel Rojas, who just got traded from the Marlins here just within the last 24 hours for the 15, number 15th overall prospect for the Dodgers, Jacob Amaya. He's going to be looking to play shortstop for the Dodgers here in 2023. Gavin Lux at second base, Freddie Freeman, of course, over there at first base, catchers-wise, you got Will Smith, Austin Barnes. DH, uh, they bring over J.D. Martinez, of course, in free agency, along with James Outman, who is another bat there. Uh, stocky dude. Absolutely stocky dude in his pictures. Starting rotation-wise, Clayton Kershaw, Julio Arias, Tony Gonsolin, Noah Syndergaard added here in free agency, and, of course, Dustin May. Big news, as we obviously talked about earlier, Trevor Bauer's release will obviously not be with the starting rotation, and Walker Buehler out for the 2023 season with Tommy John surgery. So, Christian, before we go into the farm system aspect and guys you're looking at, just overall thoughts in the lineup here, because a lot of people didn't see the Dodgers. If you were looking at the last couple of years, 2023, probably weren't looking at this lineup and thinking this is exactly what we would have projected where this team would be at this point with who they got on the field. But are we looking at something pretty you know, projectable here to be an NL West division title, or are we looking to see maybe that they're looking for the long road ahead? I think we could definitely see them going for the division title with what they have now. Obviously, there's still a couple of holes to fill, um, especially you, know, you need to hone in on a – on a last starter 
there in that rotation because you don't know what you're going to get out of Dustin May this year. He's been banged up with injuries the last couple years. If he can come back healthy, then that could be really good for them if he's able to give them a full season. But I don't know that you can sit back right now and say that that's a surefire starter for the Dodgers just based off those injuries. And the same thing, I mean, is going to be go with Kershaw and Syndergaard too. Who knows what you can get out of them in a full season because Kershaw we've seen year in and year out has to miss a few weeks here and there. Um, Syndergaard, you know, you don't really know. I mean, A, what you're going to get with him health-wise, and then B, you don't know what it's going to be production-wise just because we've seen a lot of ups and downs from him in the last few years and bouncing around all over the place, being used in all kinds of different roles. So I think um, that's a whole for sure. And then in, in the outfield too, I don't know if the three outfielders that they have right now projected to be in their starting lineup are guys are all three guys that are going to be consistent enough in the lineup to get them back over the hundred win mark. Uh, Mookie obviously, you know, is going to be an all-star and then with Taylor and Thompson, you know, who knows? I mean, I don't know when the last time trace Thompson was ever an everyday guy, um, you know, that, that at least that you thought of as being like an everyday player for you for a whole season. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see kind of what they do there. And then going to the bullpen too is, is another spot that's going to be a little bit unique because, you know, you have Trinan coming back that will probably obviously be your closer um, and Gratterall there late who's going to be good for you as well. But then, you know, what else do you have in your bullpen that, again, is going to be the guys that you turn to all the time? You know, maybe Bickford will have a really good year this year. Uh, he was a big-time prospect for a while um, and is finally, you know, done done well enough in L.A. to have been a, have stayed there over the past few years. So it'll be curious to see what – ends up becoming that Dodgers lineup. I mean, there's a couple of free agents on the board still that I think that they could grab and use to their advantage, getting them on relatively team-friendly deals at this point, a couple of starters, and then maybe another reliever or two, and maybe a uh, another infielder as well to add into that mix that, Again, like I said, you if you get them on team-friendly deals and kind of fill those voids that you have, still I think that they could definitely put together another lineup that will get them looking at an NLS title again. Yeah, and you look at this team right now, and obviously for the last couple of years, they've had this solidified lineup of Justin Turner, Max Muncy, Chris Taylor, um, obviously they had guys like, of course, Trey Turner, Corey, Corey Seager, Mookie Betts, like you have just for so long, this solidified group of guys. And now obviously those guys have gotten older, they've been traded or, you know, signed elsewhere. And so now you have this new crop of players that are coming in. And I think at the end of the day, we have to respect what the Dodgers have done for so long, which is consistently developed through their farm system. There's probably going to be guys out of nowhere that even when you look at this roster right now, guys that you've never even really necessarily heard of, 
are going to have an impact. And I think from the pitching side of things, um, I know that we're going to talk a little bit about farm system, but I do want to bring up one guy, Bobby Miller, who is a hometown kid from Illinois that I saw one time pitch. Um, and I'm glad I was not at the dish is the best way to describe it. So, there are there is something brewing, obviously, there in reference to other guys you're gonna be coming up that are gonna be able to pitch. But I think at the end of the day, if the Dodgers can do what they can with the pitching that they have and you know get Noah Syndergaard to be what he was for the second half for the Phillies, I think that you're really starting to see something where they just may sneak in the playoffs. And I remember predicting the Padres to end up winning this t- division. But, man, at the end of the day, you can't count these guys out. I think another guy that, that really needs to – I wouldn't say – I always feel bad saying like a guy needs to really step up because he's always in his role. Guys are in their position, and a lot of the times they're in the position they are based on their organization and the coach and what the lineup is and you know where they're at defensively. But I hope Gavin Lux does step up in reference to this year, in reference to what he can do for uh, the offensive side of things. So last year, he was 276, 346, and 399 slash line, 745 OPS from a 692 he had the year prior. I think if we're looking at where they need to get production to replace guys like Trey Turner um, and, and some other guys in their lineup, I think that he, if he can just get consistent playing time, he played in 129 games last year. He had 102 the year before, so he's starting to get that additional playing time. Again, a guy that I can see being a huge, huge key player for them this year that a lot of people are are down on and not looking at. I think with kind of less expectations this year, hopefully that he can step up as he's a he's a Midwest guy, and I always saw him as being an absolute stud, and it's, it's tough, right, because you're putting in a position where you're with a top-level team, and you're having to deal with being kind of moved around the lineup, moved around positionally. You're put in the outfield at some points. So a guy that I can hopefully see step up here. So Christian, farm system-wise with the Dodgers, anybody that stands out to you? I know we mentioned Bobby Miller, but anybody else that really is standing out to you at this time? Bobby Miller was was at the top of my list, um, of course. I mean, he's just such a talented prospect, and he's a starting pitcher that they need right now. So who knows? What could happen there with him? Another name that I should have brought up earlier when, um, you know, I was kind of running through who they've got and what they could use to fill in here and there at, at starting pitchers is Ryan Pepiot, who, or Pepio, I don't know how you say his last name, but he was up and down for them a little bit last year and came up and started in some spot starts when some guys went down and did well. I mean, 3-0 and last year and didn't throw a whole lot of innings at the big league level. But that could be another guy that we see maybe need to come up and fill in a little bit more this year, a little earlier on, depending on how things shape out uh, with that with that rotation. Um, looking at some other prospects, maybe not to keep an eye on for this year necessarily, but maybe more in a couple years' time. Um, Michael Bush is one of them. He's kind of one of those utility guys that you can plug up the middle in the infield or anywhere in the outfield. And we could very well see him getting a lot of playing time again this year, maybe um, depending on what happens. But I think in probably two, three years, that might be a, a really good mainstay player to keep an eye on. And then looking down at some of the younger guys who they have coming up in 
probably two to three years, maybe. Um, a guy that I want to want everybody to keep an eye on is Ronan Cop, who's a left-handed pitcher um, out of Arizona, the state of Arizona, who just is unbelievable. I mean, super tall, six seven, uh, brings it. I mean, really good, really good off-speed stuff. He is somebody who I think they're probably trying to groom to be their next Kershaw. Awesome review there, man. Really excited to see what these guys do. Now, folks, we're moving on to the Padres, which has been more of a uh, absolute buyer this offseason. A team that I projected to win the division. And, uh, I mean, Christian, at this point, they don't win the division. It'd be the most disappointing season. Um Outfield-wise, you're looking at Trent Grisham, Adam Engel, who they picked up here this offseason, former White Sox. Jose uh, Escozar, Ezocar, I think is his name. Juan Soto, of course. And who is going to be the most intriguing player this year and how he does is Fernando Tatis Jr. I have him slated in the outfield uh, with the Bogart signing. He's projected to return April 20th uh, for a four-game series against Arizona, of course, that is dependent upon the fact if they do have rainouts or uh, delays in any way. Infield-wise, you're looking at Machado at third base, Bogarts over at short with Fernando Tatis Jr. being an option there as well. Kim over at second base, who served a lot of time last year to replace Tatis during his injury-slash-PED scandal. Uh Played a wonderful shortstop for them last year. And then Jake Cronenworth, a.k.a. the Crown Zone, uh, playing first base for the Padres. Catcher-wise, Austin Nola, Brent Sullivan, Brett Sullivan, who came over from Milwaukee, uh, Luis Camposano uh, behind the dish. DH-wise, great addition here today. Just an absolute veteran, uh, a guy that, legitimately puts up 20 home runs every single year is Nelson Cruz. They just picked him up here today to be uh, their right-handed uh, DH with Matt Carpenter uh, being the left-handed DH. So being able to solidify that lineup day in and day out, depending on who they're facing. Starting pitching-wise, Hugh Darvish, just Joe Musgrove, Blake Snell, Seth Lugo, and Trevor Bauer, uh, excuse me, Nick Martinez uh, as their starting rotation. Looking at this lineup, you saw last year get to the NLCS – get beat by Philly, but both teams were very even keeled. I just think that Philly was on a run that nobody could stop during that time. You get Tatis back in April. I mean, you get him basically right away. So you're really looking at a lineup that has superstars at almost every single position. At the end of the day, superstar teams don't work out 100% of the time. But they're in an, uh, they're obviously in a better position than some other teams. If you're looking at this lineup and you're looking at the starting rotation right now, Christian, one spot they're missing. What are you picking? It's so it's hard to pick, but I I, I think probably their weakest point right now is maybe at the catcher position. Uh, Nola, I mean Nola is is fine and he does well uh but last year we saw a lot of nola and alfaro splitting a lot of time and i think if you know nola is going to be the everyday guy then that's fine and i don't you know it's not going to hurt you in any way i mean uh defensively he does 
well offensively. He's going to get on base. He's going to be able to drive guys in. Um, and it's not, you know, definitely not a big hole at all. And then Campusano has been a longtime guy that people have kept their eyes on through the minor leagues and have been sort of waiting for him to get up and get his time. And now that he's going to be on the roster full time, if that pans out as a solid second option or blossoms into the starter, I still think they're going to be good there. So really, I mean, if you're looking at this team and trying to find a hole that's not on the starting pitching side, like we kind of touched on earlier, I think, probably catcher is where their weak point might come. And I use that term weak point very, very loosely. Anybody in the farm system that you see at the time that you're kind of, you know, glossing about at this point? Yeah. I mean, I don't really think we're going to see too many guys coming up or going down this year, but they do have one kid, uh, Dylan Lesko in their farm system who in high school was I mean a dude everybody was talking ranting and raving about him and how good that he was and you know the Padres have him he's their number two prospect right now not looking to be in the big leagues anytime soon but a guy that they're gonna let kind of do his thing in the minors and uh keep getting to be you know a, a really 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 good pitcher by the time that it's time to bring him up and get him into the big leagues Um, And then a position player to watch out for that they have down in that farm system right now as well is a guy named Corey Howell, who's their number nine prospect uh, per MLB.com. Has just been super, super consistent playing for them throughout the minor leagues. Um, He got, I believe he was traded to the Padres actually, um, maybe in the, big deal that they made last year um with to get hater but i think he's a guy who maybe in two years time once some of these guys start signing away when their contracts expire who he could he could sneak up into the big leagues and be a be a pretty good uh middle or top of the lineup hitter excellent breakdown brother now Obviously, once Tatis comes back, that's going to be a whole soap opera in reference to, oh, you know, there's probably going to be articles come out that he's not happy in reference to where he is. It may not may be true, may not be true. Um, obviously, with the way his father acts, I'm <laughs> interested to see how Fernando acts now that he's probably been around his father enough and hearing all of the different things that this player should not hear in reference to who he is. And I'm not coming out to say I don't like his father, but I worry that Tatis now may be put in a different perspective in, in reference to his career as some of his comments from his father were regarding not necessarily agreeing with some of the things that were out there about him, even though he, Fernando should have, you know, should own up to the fact that he did the wrong thing. Um, he can move forward, and he's honestly in the luckiest position right now because he's with a World Series contender that making a few moves towards the trade deadline can put them in a position to uh, you know be the solidified uh, you know pick to win the World Series. So, Padres look nasty. Um, thanks to Christian there for just an absolute wonderful breakdown of just what to look for in the uh, farm system. There, of course, their farm system got. Uh, you know, depleted a little bit with the Juan Soto trade that sent guys like, um, you know, 
Mackenzie Gore and C.J. Abrams uh, to the Nationals. But the Padres are in a position to win now, and that was their goal from the beginning, and that's what they're going to do. So, folks, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, obviously, as we mentioned, this is a you know tougher time for baseball, but there's still topics to talk about, and I think that there's a lot of projections to talk about as we move into spring training into the regular season. We're so excited to, to get spring training going here in a couple of weeks. Uh, but, Christian, anything else to add here before we sign off? Well, I guess since we started by talking about the NL West, that means next week we get to talk about the Rockies. So can't wait to talk about how good the Rockies are going to be this year. Yeah, yeah, maybe we'll save that. Maybe we'll just add them to the uh, back list. Maybe we'll see if we get them in before the end of the, the uh, regular season. Or if uh, Christian's frustrated from any of his law court cases, uh, we'll let him have it there on a, on a uh, Thursday night in regards to the Rockies. So folks, so excited to continually do this uh, podcast uh, and put out these episodes for you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll uh, talk to you here again soon.